Coming up in two minutes is episode number nine of the Good Grief, Good God Show, hosted by Grammy nominee and Emmy award-winning hit songwriter of 15 top 10 songs, including nine number ones, Brad Warren of the Warren Brothers. I'm producer Matt Pivato. Join Brad monthly on the first and third Tuesdays on your favorite audio platform or in video on YouTube for raw, honest conversation about surviving things that suck. For today's episode, Brad welcomes a level three experimental therapist and former senior clinical director at On site workshops, Bill Loki. Onsite is located on a 250-acre campus in Tennessee. For over 40 years, Onsite has come alongside tens of thousands of individuals on their mental health journey by providing top-tier clinical care and transformative healing hospitality, offering world-renowned emotional wellness retreats, therapeutic intensives, residential trauma care, and digital resources. Visit onsiteworkshops.com to learn more. Brad and his family, after Brad's son Sage passed, quickly found Bill to be one of the wisest, kindest man they've ever met. You will soon find out that Bill is battling an aggressive form of cancer, but somehow has found the strength to be Brad's guest in hopes someone might be helped or comforted by his message. Over the next hour, be prepared for your mind to be taught and your heart to be touched. Check the description or show notes to learn more about Bill on site and the show. Also provide our clickable links to connect to the show on your favorite social media platform and to watch on YouTube or listen on your favorite audio platform and to visit goodgriefgoodgodshow.com where we find the most up-to-date show information, including links to the back catalog of episodes, plus more. On the behalf of Brad's wife, Michelle, segment and guest booker, Lisa Bolt, thank you for tuning in, and we hope you too will find the good in grief. The Good Grief, Good God Show is brought to you in loving memory of Sage Michael Warren. Bill, let's come in here and sit down. Get you comfortable? And we'll uh, do the rest from here. Yeah, this is... Matt. This is Matt is Matt is the hey, Josh the producer. Uh, Josh Slate says hello. Oh, Josh, oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, tell him hi back. I will. I'll Matt, talk to him. I'm Lizzie. That's Lizzie from Onsite. Yeah. Let's let you sit down. I may, be okay. I may help you get in here. I want, I want you to be comfortable. We got to be comfortable, Bill, if nothing else. That's right. <laughs> let me open this for you just so it'll be open. Okay. Thank you. So what all have you been doing? I mean, beyond the the uh, performing songwriter career that I call a job, we have been <laughs> we have been uh, shooting these podcasts. Released the first ones two weeks ago. Really? Um, and you know, as God would have it, the response has been far more than we so you've been assumed it would. So we shot. Right? We've, this is the ninth one. Um, we've released two. The first one was Al, and then a friend of mine, Jeffrey Steele, who's a Hall of Fame songwriter who lost a child as well. And oh, um, man. and he, uh, it was yeah. It's just been, it's just been very powerful. And uh, you know, you get a community. I remember we said this before, but it's the, it's one of the clubs nobody wants to be a member of. But once you are, you want to be around the people that are in the club. Um, and um, man, this is a really powerful thing you're doing. Um, I don't, since I've talked to you, I'm sure, because since we were we were meeting, uh, I, I, about two years ago, started, well, over two years ago, so soon after Sage passed, started a men's group. Uh, of, from, I remember that. Okay, so I don't know if it leads, okay, I may, I may have started that, and it has been awesome i mean as you can wow. imagine um, so it's this actually we do it in this room <laughs> ironically oh, really? there's a lot of spiritual things have happened in this room for whatever reason um 
for us, but to be in a room with 12 to 15 guys that know exactly how you feel about something is yeah. an amazing thing. Cause you can be one-on-one -on -one with someone and even three people or two or three, but a whole room full of people, full of men yeah. that have lost a child. And every one of them knows how you feel. And it's, it is, this is so healing and so peaceful. It is. There's something about that, that um, emotions come up, they'll come up for me today. And yet people know immediately, it's like, yeah, I know exactly what you're going through and no need to be apologetic or whatever. And it's, it's like, you know, it's like for me, I love, I love what I did. I don't get to do that same way of doing it anymore. But man, to, um, to experience something now, and as you well as you know this, it's about a kind of loss that now I've experienced through cancer. It's just, you know, it's instantly, oh man, yeah, I know exactly what you're, you know, talking about. Whereas before, I knew it through categories of loss, but I, um, it was not the same as having experienced it, you know, on that deep level of yourself. Yes. Is this the same one? Yeah, it is. I just got a copy of it. Yes, sir. Ironically, when we were, well, are we starting yet? Because actually, I probably, okay. Are you going to be walking around in the background as we're starting? <laughs> yeah, they always say don't get started until, until you're started. started because you'll likely say some of the best stuff. Uh, do you remember G. Gordon Liddy? Yeah. G. Gordon, we, we, my brother and I did his show many years ago, and he wouldn't, uh, we did it several times, and he, uh, he wouldn't talk to us before. He would say, no, 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 first, first introductions are on air because we'll miss something. And then yeah. afterwards we can visit. I thought he thought exactly. that was funny. Looks like we have an audience over here. <laughs> Good looking crew of people. You know what? Would it be too much to ask to, like, to get some hot tea or none of this? Calf, none of this um, sugar-free, sweet-free. Not the honey? The honey doesn't do it for you? <laughs> you know, I tried it for a long time, and the honey didn't quite didn't quite do it. I don't know why, but sounds like, all right, I'll just give in to the crazy. Yeah. <laughs> There's all kinds of stuff, too. <laughs> That's all. It's, uh, when, we were, uh, when, when we were meeting with you with, uh, after yeah. Sage passed and... and uh, First of all, you know, my my favorite person and the, one of my very best friends, Al Andrews, and, you know, yeah. tells me tells me this is who you need to talk to. Then I don't even question it. So this is who you need to talk to. <laughs> but what you had been through and you were in remission at the time, but what you had been through and your struggle with cancer um, made it more authentic to us. Oh, when you wow. were talking to us, we knew that you felt pain and you had been close to something that was... It sounds terrible, but it it helped us. Your what you had been through helped us listen to you <laughs> and believe you. Because it's hard to listen to someone that hasn't lost a child when you have, because you're like you don't know you don't know this. And pain. in that role, um, you know, in that role that I had, I don't usually I, I pick and choose moments of when do I share my own personal experience because I'm not the kind of therapist that could just go. Oh well, you know, I'll I'll just hold that over here. But I also don't want to just 
talk about it all the time to get rid of my stuff. <laughs> but, um, oh, I hit, hit, hit my microphone. I, um, but I know that just in talking with you all also helped me with my time. Mm -hmm. uh, just because you all were struggling with something very, very real. And it was like, no, this is, this is all three of us sitting in the room dealing with our hearts. And man, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not going to just push that to the side and not pay much attention to that. So it's so much more effective for us to hear that, to hear that, that interaction, because since then, uh, Michelle and I have become very comfortable with, um, with our discomfort. Um, and we've embraced it and we've tried to do good things with it. And I talk about it all the time, but the little things like, I, you know, I've flown all over the world being afraid to fly. I just didn't like it. Well, I, I'm not afraid to fly anymore. Really? I don't care less at all. Um, and that's a little gift given to me by my son, you know, that's there. I have a completely different um, perspective on death because on the other side of this life is just as important yes. to me as <laughs> anything on on the other side. Um, so I'm, I'm not afraid of it. I really yeah. am not afraid of it. Now, I'm afraid of dying, but I'm not afraid of death. Well, I think that's the case that most people are afraid of living. They're not really afraid of dying. Hey, y'all are using up all your good stuff. I know. We're on. We're on. It's on. Oh, he's rolling. Yeah. Way to go, Al. It's <laughs> good, though. That would have been, you're right, that would have been good. I just made sure he was, by the way, he doesn't miss anything. I've uh, said some really bad things and they wound up on the air. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I, yeah. I guess I should do a formal introduction, but I just don't do that. Uh, Bill Loki, look him up. He's the clinical director at OnSite. You wrote some of the curriculum, right? You're right. You were for 10 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny because, you know, I just didn't. God, Thank you Lisa so Volk. much. Thank you, though, Lisa. Um, I mean, obviously, I knew I knew a lot of your things, but I just I look it up anyway. Uh, yeah. And one, one of, you know, just to make sure I didn't miss something. And it's funny because you you had an, a thing. My, my wife, Michelle, her word for the year has been Authentic. Like literally, that's what, that's just, we're going to try to be authentic. <laughs> that's the thing. And one of the first things and that I read on you was discover and recover authenticity. And I was like, wow, that's just, that's not an accident that <laughs> we wind up here. Um, and I try to have a quote for everyone that comes on here, just something that makes me think of them and their situation, whatever it is. So the quote that I came up with for you is, it was originally Fernando Sabino, whoever that is. Uh, but, it was yeah. made, but it was made popular by John Lennon. And most of us know who that is. Yeah. And I thought this was really a uh, good quote for you today. Uh, it's, uh, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Ah, uh, I like that. Oh, yeah, I do like that. And um, I think that perspective of the end has been something I've um, I've probably been experiencing for most of my life, um, which I guess is pretty much the case. Um, 
ever since I was a kid and being taught um, my being taught the same beliefs as my parents, but being taught about Jesus as um, more than just a religious figure. Um, but also in that whole process, while I was trying to learn what I believed in my household, I also had this other undercurrent going on as to what is it that, um, what do I really believe and what do I do with this belief and, and um, how do I handle this? Because as most people that I knew at least, there was a part of me that wanted to be accepted. There was another part of me that wanted to accept. And, um, and I wasn't even sure which was more important at the time. Um, but um, this whole process of growing into what some people said was wisdom was something that I didn't know how to do. But interestingly, the more I didn't know how to do it, the more it happened faster. And, um, and that's why I loved from very early on being around people who also weren't quite sure of where they were. Because if we could get in the background and talk and you're going, hey, man, do you, you really know what's going on here? And they're going, no, I don't either. That made me feel so comfortable because it was like, ah, okay, then I can, I can do that with someone. And if I was always around people that knew where they were headed and they knew their direction, I admired them, but I didn't know what to do with that because that wasn't me. And I loved finding myself um, then said stepping into the insecurity and being around the insecurity and I found that that set everybody at ease. <laughs> That's amazing because the things that people like about it, it's kind of like the the far side comic strip where the guy's laying on his deathbed. He says, I wish I would have spent more time at work. And, and you know, nobody, nobody at someone's, you know, at someone's, in someone's eulogy says, man, he had great cars. Um, or maybe they do. I don't know. I've never seen one. Um, the things yeah. that we are willing to be vulnerable about, and I'm learning, it's funny about wisdom too. It's almost like willing to have wisdom versus trying to find it. Like, I want to be wise. It's not really, um, it's it's not the things that we think are going to the things that we think are going to impress people are really not the important things. Yeah, the, we we I always say in Williamson County here where we live is the capital of uh, buying things we don't need to impress people we don't care about. Exactly. And um, right. I have realized that the the things that I, like the greatest gifts I ever gave my children were the nose. <laughs> no, you can't have that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same thing with us with God sometimes. The things that he kept from us that made us be vulnerable are what bring us closer to him. And your wisdom is in your vulnerability. I mean, that I think if you weren't willing to be, as you say, insecure or whatever it was, that that is that's where the wisdom is found. It's not always it hasn't if I have any wisdom, it, it, I haven't attained it sexy. It's not it's yeah. not pretty and sexy getting it. It's painful. Yeah. And yeah. It is, and it's that it's that not knowing, but it's how you said uh, giving yourself permission 
to discover it, to stumble upon it, rather than um, making it this journey. I'll never forget, I was at on-site one day when I was there in my office, and this, I'd been there for most of my tenure, my, most of my time of 10 years, and this guy uh, called me one day. I have no idea who he is, don't remember his name, so I couldn't spill his identity if I wanted to. But I remember him getting on the phone and he said, I want to know the program to come to that really um, lets me in on the, the best of wisdom. You know, and I was like, well, tell me what you're looking for, you know, because <laughs> we got this four door, we got this two, you know, it's like, what, here are the different things about programs. And, and he was trying to tell me and he kept going, no, people, people have said, well, you know, maybe you should go to this kind of program. And he said, no, I've already done that. And he said, then people would suggest this. And, and he said, but I've already done that too. And I was like, okay. And um, he finally, I thought he was really searching until he finally said to me something like, um, you know, everything that um, I think is important, I've already done. And I already know all those things. And so um, he said, so then how do I get beyond that? And you could tell he was looking to really impress. It was like, I really want to impress. And I kept trying to give him what I thought he could handle at the time. And finally, it, I just couldn't help it. I just finally stopped and I took a breath in. I said, if you really, really want the kind of wisdom that I think you're searching for, I said, um, most of the people that are the wisest they don't talk about it. <laughs> Said, um, instead, you don't talk about all that. You just live your life and try to live it in love. You try to love people well. And, um, and then if someone asks for advice, then maybe you give them some advice. But I said, the thing that really seems to be the biggest key for me are the people that don't talk about it. And then he got really quiet, and, and then it was like, "Oh, that is kind of the nature of it." Would be the way you know the wise man is quiet while the fool speaks, or whatever. Well, I've had been hit with that before because I speak too much, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> for sure. But like, I, so I've, I've been in recovery for seventeen years; it's been a long time, and um, for a long, large span of that, I didn't sponsor anyone because I didn't want to like screw them up. Uh, you know, because it was all about me, right? My my record. Right. I didn't want my so I didn't want to sponsor someone. And a friend of mine in the program was awesome, and he said to me, "He said, oh, there's nothing worse than somebody that thinks they're a great sponsor.'" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, oh, oh, oh!" And he said, "It's not. It's not about them." And the truth is, I've been sponsoring people for years now, and the truth is that I've learned more from them than they ever could have learned yeah. from me. And it's caused me to get into the literature and know a little bit more what I'm doing instead of just kind of showing up. Like you can show up for recovery just like you do for church and you can, you know, mail it in, sit on the back row and, and you know, I showed up, you know, here's my mark. Or you can delve in and, and get involved. And I think this the same goes for like whatever wisdom is is something that when we,
to be humiliated over. Maybe, maybe there's a little bit of God's wisdom in it. Um, I just got to watch something with you and Bob Goff uh, oh, that you yeah. did recently. And it was amazing. And I thought, gosh, if Jesus could have been introduced to me this way as a child, imagine the relationship we would have had all the years that I was running from him <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't know who he was. It was really amazing. Um, I just had to tell you guys that. Well, it's been interesting. I was telling Lizzie on the way over here, she brought me over here. One of the things, I guess, because of the work I've been in, um, is I wanted to be able to talk well. I wanted to be able to express myself well. Um, I wanted to be able to pick up on things like like that, but I wanted people to hear that in me. And then um, not only was getting cancer not enough, but yeah, I guess I might as well say for people that are listening to this that don't know, I got hit with that great um, diagnosis of cancer five years ago. And, um, and that's been part of my story now for the last five years and the struggle. But a struggle that um, a struggle that seems to stay the same struggle ceases to be a struggle. It, um, and so I think there comes a point where we go, oh, I've told this story a lot of times now. And um, so one of the things that keeps it current is what, I, what we all hate, a current struggle. Um, and, um, but recently I started noticing that I was having a difficult time hearing, especially out of my left ear. Um, I was having a hard time, it seemed, um, seeing out of my left eye. And it was growing dark and I went to see a um, retina specialist. Um, about the same time I started noticing that I had this, this numbness in my jaw and my chin, and it makes it hard to talk. And I was looking at this from these specific individual symptoms. <clears throat> and I took these to my oncologist a couple weeks ago or a week ago. And she was like, oh, I'm, we need to get an MRI. I'm afraid that these are signs that this has gone to your brain and um, that either the cancer has gone to the brain or possibly that your brain is changing and shutting down because of the cancer. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Um, you know, I've been so with it being about, it had metastasized into bone cancer from prostate cancer. So um, I was struggling with that for the five years. So this is new. And, um, and it's just been another huge kick of just going, you know, this is, this is real. I mean, this is the next step in this thing. And it makes my, my speech now even feel like I can't talk very well. It's a very slow, even a little bit of a slurred speech, which you probably picked up on before I told you. I think you're doing um, great because I don't, yeah, but I, <laughs> I, I understand, yeah. And, um, and so to live with that is, 
is continuing more of the struggle, um, but I don't know what the answer to that is because now it's like, so we go do the MRI, we find out what the MRI says, um, and yet still, what you know, what do we do? Because five years has not brought about an answer to curing cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not brought that about. And so for me, um, I felt what a lot of people I think have felt now that have had cancer for a number of years, which is that sense of, um, I, I don't know if this is ever going to change or it's ever going to get healed or mm-hmm. something different is going to take place. And so I live with, um, I live with the, the sorrow, the grief, the hurt. Um, and I'm aware of other people then that talk about their hurt or their grief and how it's changed or how it's um, evolved into something else. Um, and I don't have a clue where mine's going. Although I do know um, eventually it's moving into physical death. But what I have said for a number of years now is that but I'm truly such a believer in um, the message of what Jesus says is that it's not about death, it's about moving from from life to life. Sure. And I believe that is so critical to not look at um, the prison sentence, but it's to look at what do we call prison. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is the prison sentence that, oh my gosh, I've had cancer this long, or is it more about... Um, Actually, this place I find myself in right now is a place that actually um, has taught me some things about grief, about letting go, about receiving. And if it's taught me those things, then maybe it's not such a prison sentence after all. Maybe it's more of, uh, again, the club of being with some other people. And you've lived your life giving other people hope. Uh, I can attest to it personally, but also, I mean, right to the right to whatever the end is. That's my instinct is that's what you're going to do, because, um, you know, to live well is one thing and then to die well is one thing. And I'm, I'm very uh, I'm intrigued about it because I, I, I have uh, after losing my son, I became uh, almost oddly interested in near-death experiences. So I've just delved in and I, I read books and I, I watched a lot of, a lot of YouTube videos. And um, I see the peace that happens immediately with people when they're in a, you know, a lady underwater trapped in a kayak oh, you know, for 30 yeah. minutes. It's Mary C. Neal. So it's my favorite book of all the things I've read. Um, and the, her ultimate fear was drowning. Um, really? And there she is. 30 feet under the water, trapped in a kayak, two broken legs, and she can't get out of it. And immediately, not like after a struggle, whatever, immediately a peace came over her and she could see herself hovering over. Um, 
I mean, if we believe what we believe, which is difficult for us yeah. to believe, you know, the faith and then trust and the trust being like faith that's been working out a lot, I think. Uh, but if we believe that, then the truth is this is a graduation. This is a, yeah. a life to life thing. And, um, you know, I was raised in church and I'm in recovery and I believe it and I believe in Jesus. And I've, I mean, I, I, I know the, the, the facts because I was raised with them. And then I went out and became an addict. And then now I've been in recovery a long, long time. And I, I believe in Jesus and God. And that's, you know, that's there. That's off in this corner. Then I lose my son and I have to believe. Then I, then, then the rubber meets the road. Like I, oh, if yeah. I'm going to breathe. I'm either going to have to believe this or I'm probably going there. My fork was easy in the road. I'm, yeah. I'm probably going to go off the deep end and drink myself to death and ruin everyone's life. It's in 10, within 10 feet of me, or I'm going to really believe this. And, um, I mean, I, I, I really believe it. I just can't, I haven't, I haven't had one, um, urge to, to take the other road. I haven't had the urge to, to do that, but also I have a piece that I've never had before. Um, I don't want to have gotten it this way, but I didn't get to exactly. choose it. But I have a piece. I have a piece about where you're, by the way, there would have been time, a time that I would have been uncomfortable talking to you at this stage. I'm super comfortable talking to you at this stage. Yeah. I want to be with you at this stage. I want to feel, by the way, you're yeah. still giving. You're still giving to a lot of people. Um, that's crazy. That's a miracle, but it it's funny. Crazy. When we, it's so it's completely opposite of what it would be. And, um, so I'm curious as to everything that you're feeling and thinking, because obviously you said with when you're in your thing with Bob, it's not like there's no fear. Yes, I have fear. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's okay. You know, and if it's not okay, it's not the end. And I think that's the important part is that everybody has to put in, they have to finish that sentence. It's a but... There's this. Everybody has to finish the sentence because if I try to finish that sentence for you, I think that's where a lot of us felt in the Christian tradition that someone was preaching at us. It just, the moment I felt preached at, I was like, okay, I'm checking out, you know. Um, that's the but. Someone trying to put that word in for me. So when my moment of not being in a kayak, but uh, still being 30 feet under, um, I don't know, I tried to make a metaphor there. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> but, but trying to be um, continuing to find the meanings of life in the work that I do, and then to find out that... Um, this life after life was still something that I was, I was watching happen for me, happen to me, happen with me, and um, and so what I began to feel was some of the shock again. Um, it's like, ah, oh, are you kidding me? Here we go again. Um, it it caused me to begin to feel sometimes alone again, separate, um, because I don't know how to do this again. I'm suddenly in, in new, new land that I don't know how to do this land. Um, I struggle just with the fact that 
I don't know how to hear. Like right now I've got this thing where you, you know, weird at one ear is different from the other one. Um, it bothers me because I think at first everybody's going to go, oh, gosh, this isn't, you know, this takes me away from the moment. But this is part of the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think for me, I've finally come, Lizzie and I were talking about this also on the way here. Doesn't take us long to get into stuff. Um, and that is, are you really not afraid of dying? And I was able to very quickly today say, oh no, hmm. not at all afraid of dying. In fact, there are days now where um, it's not about being afraid of living, it's afraid of um, how painful is it going to be? Uh, how much do I have to put into the sacrifice and the pain and the wound um, before I get to step into that doorway with Jesus. I can't wait uh, to walk across the doorway and to walk into that relationship even more. Um, that's really going to be something that I can't wait to enter into. When you tell the story that you told uh, with Bob about the, the boat dock and then when you're coming in. Oh. So it was a period for me of, um, this was even before I knew I had cancer. Uh, probably about two years before I knew I had cancer. And my mom had died recently. And I was watched her as she died what well, looked like some fear on her face. And um, so we were, my wife and I, Laurie, were, we were talking on the, um, the boat because one of the transportation um, legs was finally, the last part we were going to a retreat that Bob was hosting at his, one of his places out in British Columbia. And, um, I told Laurie, my wife, I said, I don't, I don't want to be afraid of dying, but we saw the look on my mom's face and she looked like she was afraid that day. And I said, I don't, I don't want to feel that way, but I don't know what that's going to be like. And what's death going to be like? Is it going to be this place you get dropped off for a while until you get picked back up? Or is it a, is it a darkness or? Or what, what's it going to be like? But I don't want to be scared. And, um, and I remember standing there um, just in the midst of some of this fear. And I thought, I do not want to feel panic. I don't want to feel that level of fear. And um, just about that time, we were probably a quarter mile across the water from the dock where Bob and his uh, friends, some of the people that were already at the retreat were already there. And they were starting to put up the hoop and holler. You know, it was yelling and hollering that we were there. And they were, it was so fun. And across water, you can hear better. So at, at a quarter mile, it felt like it was a hundred feet, but, um, 
And suddenly it hit me that it was like they're all standing there waiting on us and they can't wait for us to get there. And it felt so good to be um, being received in friendship and but without any kind of um, cordial, without too much cor too much cordiality, it was was just like, hey, we've been friends for a long time, even though I didn't know most of the people up there on the dock. And I looked to my wife and I said, that that's what it's going to be like. I said there's not going to be a period of darkness or despair or panic or wondering. I said, it's going to be like the boat that we're on arrives at the shore and we get off at the shore. And that's where we've been wanting to go. And the people that have been waiting for to see us are waiting to receive us and they can't wait. And it suddenly it was so real and it was so, so much reality in that. And I said, that's what it's going to be like is we're going to be on this journey and we get off the boat, step onto the dock, and it's just as real. And suddenly the, the, the fear just lifted off of me. And it was like, this is what it's going to be like, and I can't wait. And then when we got off the dock and we were walking along the trail, and out at British Columbia at this time of year, the <clears throat> everything was so green and lush and beautiful. And um, I said, yeah, and I said, and it's going to be just as real on the trail. I said, we're going to see greenery, we're going to see things, and it's going to be just as real as this is, and the people are going to be just as real. And, and I, I just, like, I can't wait. A reckless celebration is yeah. what it sounds like. It's just a, a totally reckless celebration. It's uh, interesting, too, because one of the things that's very common in the many, many near-death experiences that I've ventured into is the colors and the greenery are some colors that don't even exist here. Wow. Indescribable. Really? And yet the person remembers them completely. Like it was more real than what I had for lunch yesterday. And it's maybe 10 years since the, the thing. There's so many things in common uh, with those. It, it has changed my purview of death. I love the celebration uh, aspect of it because I think maybe if you've ever met Bob Goff in your life, then you get one of those, <laughs> you know, when you get there, because he's just insane enough to request it. You know, it's a, uh, but that is that that is the best version that I've heard of something that, and that is also common. This group of people that you don't necessarily oh that was my mom or that and those things exist too. But in the near death experiences, this group of people greet you. They they are they they are there when you arrive, and it's people that have been important in your life. You don't you know it's great grandmother that you never met yeah. or what it is. There's people. Um, and that always made perfect sense to me. I mean, what, what is the best start of a trip is the welcome party. And the deal is yeah. that the, the, the boat ride over, it, before you got on the boat, could be a little scary. I, the, the Having been afraid to fly before I know how that works, I want to get there. I can't wait to get to Europe, but I really am not excited about getting <laughs> on the plane, right? You know, what I, mean? sit there for yeah. I went to Australia when I was in the midst of active alcoholism and total fear of flying. It was 
oh my gosh, getting on that plane was just horrendous. But when I got there, I was so glad I made the trip. Yeah. And I think maybe sometimes it's that, and the truth is the trip was fine. And I, I should have just watched movies and enjoyed the, the <laughs> flight and I didn't. But the fear of the trip made me, honestly, uh, back then drink so much and take so many pills that I ruined part of my get there. I don't want to be afraid of the journey anymore. And I mean, this journey or that journey, whatever the, whatever the journey is to the dock, from from right here to the dock, I'm so tired of being afraid. And and, and I have to say, I, I I'm I don't want to make the bold statement because the devil's always listening. I'm not afraid of anything, right, you yeah, know. Yeah. Like, don't tempt the devil. Uh, but I'm not, and I am so much less afraid than I ever was before. From thirty thousand feet, you you would think that not much has changed. I mean, I just I still you know. I still dress like a teenager or whatever it is, might, might be. <laughs> but the idea of the fear that I've lived in most of my life and the absence of it now is stark. That contrast is stark to me. And I'm so grateful for that um, in the pain and the sorrow to have found that spot. And the truth is it's just kind of connected these two lives. It's made me want to sit here and be with you and talk to you um, and and hear your journey. Because, I, I mean... Yeah, we're, I mean, I'm, I tend to be afraid of everything. And, yeah. You know, I'm everything, everything. Um, and to to have scratched most of that off my list and to have, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could scare me. Uh, I'm sure. I don't want to get cocky and say it couldn't be, but most of the fears in my life that I lived with forever, especially the one that God was going to send me to hell for something that I was thinking or whatever it might be, those are uh, gone. I do not live with those yeah. anymore. And it's so hopeful to to hear your hope. I mean, it's not even hope. It's trust because it's not hope. It's trust. Yeah, and it's certainly not summoning um, Satan, you know, to attempt to say, oh, I'm not afraid of this anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, to to make me get scared again would be like, you know, beating up a four-year-old. It's like not, <laughs> nothing to brag about, you know. Yeah. Exactly. I'm praying everything. You can't yeah. get me. It's not a big deal. Right. There's surely a bigger fish to fry in that area. <laughs> right. So, and, and of what to make me afraid of, there's stuff that, that could come around the corner tomorrow. So that's not the, the big thing that's the issue of what, what you can scare me with. It's more of, um, I want my life to be, I think, about this very topic. I want my life to go, you know, if we can continue to move towards showing what love looks like, I think that's the, to me, is the deal, is how do I love in the midst of um, either being afraid or in the midst of being angry or in the midst of being hurt? or all of those other things that can get in the way of what love looks like. Um, I want to love in the middle of all that so that, um, to me, that's that's the thing that I guess I, I, I long for more than anything. Um, because loving doesn't look like what I used to think love always looked like. Um, it's, it's quite different which is again what makes me love Jesus, is that he, uh, he did not look like what I thought he was supposed to look like. 
And one of the reasons I know that is not because I have the picture storybook of Jesus with all the photographs, um, but instead it's, it's more about when I get surprised, when love, when love surprises me, and it turns out that once again, Jesus is saying, I love you, and this is one of the ways I want to show you. I'm just, pro I'm just profoundly, um, wow, I don't even know the words to it. I am affected profoundly. And um, then once again, it's like, oh, that's what love feels like and what it looks like. I don't know what your history is uh, on it, but and I may have I may have already told the story on the podcast. I don't know. I have no idea what I'm repeating myself. But you ever, did you ever have that friend in in school? And at, after summer break, they would come back and they had gone away, and they brag about this other friend, and they talk about them so much that you dislike this other person that you haven't even met, but they've bragged so much on them, and they've just pelted you with it, made you feel bad about yourself over this other person. And you just don't like this person that you've never met never because met. of because of the other person's representation of them. That's what I got. That's what how Jesus was introduced to me. Oh, really? Jesus was the friend that I just my sweet God fearing God loving mother was trying to scare us into heaven. And I just this this person that I heard about that just didn't seem very loving, kind, and forgiving. And I have gotten to know the person instead of hearing the stories about them yeah. especially recently and i'm like oh what a great guy i missed it i just and i want to tell him man you were just being so misrepresented by the people i went to <laughs> church with you know yeah. early on um that analogy and and because the 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 truth is that Jesus loves us just for being. There is no, our works are as filthy rags. And so there isn't uh, this, this behavioral conditions for his love. Yeah. Um, I was always kind of taught, or at least thought because of what we were taught, that you got your act together, cleaned it up, and then you could be a Christian. And the truth is the opposite happens. So, you know, you have the relationship yeah. And the behavior will clean itself up out of what your desires become. I always thought the desires of your heart meant that I was going to get all the riches that I wanted. The yeah. truth is that the desires of my heart were going to change. Yeah. I wasn't going to want those things. Yeah. They weren't going to be as important to me. Um, and when you talk about that kind of love, it's like the, just the one thing that's a, that's a minimum. We have to do that. And you can, you know, you can have all this stuff and all the knowledge and you can do all these works, whatever. You don't have love. You're not getting in. <laughs> I, mean, I don't even mean in. I don't think that. Yeah. I don't think there's a guard at the gate, and Santa Claus has got a list and says, "Ah, oh, you almost made it." But instead, you're. Um, but even Good in thing this I life, checked it twice. Yeah, yeah, I checked it twice. But even in this life, getting what we're supposed to have—the peace and the serenity and the relationship—if we don't have love, we're not. We're not going to get that. We're going to live in turmoil. Yeah. And that in itself is, is hell. And uh, I can't imagine. I have a question. I have a couple questions. Um, you are in a battle with cancer right now that is formidable. Why did you come here today? I'm so honored. I'm so uh, blessed to know you. And we don't know each other as well as, as, as you know, Bob or my friend Al. But I, I was just curious as to, you know, what was your... <clears throat> First thing was um, when Al invited me, he told me about this and, and invited me, and um, 
I felt like I already knew your heart. <laughs> and it's exactly what we talked about at the very beginning. Um, because of the loss you've experienced, and we wanted to talk about those kinds of things um, and how do we love in the midst of that anyway, I'm all in. Um, and I knew you from meeting you in the past, but to have actually thought, well, I want to spend some time sitting in a room with you talking about not commiserizing, not just doing that, but to say, this is what this has done with my heart, which means this is what Jesus has taken me in the middle of this pain and um, has loved me in a way that I would have never extreme dreamed of that. Um, and that's what I want to spend time mm -hmm. talking about and loving. I don't think we're commiserating our losses. I think we're game planning our hope or, you know, confidence. It's not, it, this isn't like a negative thing. It's a, it's a, um, it's a tough subject. Yeah. But it's not, it's not bad. Right. It's not negative. It's positive. It's actually the most positive Turns thing out to be we could ever talk about. Exactly. Um, and I, yeah, I, that's, that's, um, Without okay, I don't ever want to be get uh, feel like that. I, I'm not conscious of the struggle and the battle that you're going into. But the idea that you might see my son before I do, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. My wife's dad died three weeks ago now, four weeks ago, hmm. and we've talked some about it. It's like. Well, looks like I'll get to see him there probably before, probably before you will, um, before my wife's mom. Don't know that for sure. The way I ride a motorcycle, who knows? I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's possible. <laughs> yeah. But it's that kind of thing where it's like, we don't know, but um, I think of that, it helps me make it even more real that I will, I would actually be getting to see Sage. Mm -hmm. I would actually get to be uh, hanging out with my father-in-law. <clears throat> I'd be getting to see both of my parents and getting to take walks with my mom and talk about things that could heal the relationship that we had in, in ways that it's never been healed before. Um, and I look forward to that. Yeah, because all those things socially, you know, or that's the wrong word, so it's the relationally yeah. that weren't, I mean, like I would take a different, another swing at the plate. I always say that at everything just to see if I could change outcomes. But the truth is, it's all pretty good. You know, we really all worked hard. We loved each other. Uh, our son didn't, I mean, I feel like we're blessed because it never said he hated us and there was no, you know, he, he struggled from the same thing I did and fentanyl wasn't around when I was, when I was struggling with the same things. And, um, but just the, the things that you want to, boy, I sure hope he knows how much he was loved, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, 
it probably already knows that. Your mom and your relationship is probably perfect already. And when you get there, it'll probably be a look. And yeah. it'll just all be, yeah. you know what I mean? It'll be there. But it will be nice to think that, that if, if it needs a talk, we get to have it. If it needs a walk, um, I do everything on a walk now. I like to, I like to walk while I'm thinking. Yeah. If I, you know, when I meet with the. Makes my brain work. Yeah. When I meet with sponsees in recovery, I'm like, yeah, we're going for a walk. So I don't want to sit at a table and, and, uh, yeah. yeah, that's amazing. I mean, there's, there's, uh, guys, so much healing in it. I, I'm so grateful. I have one more question. Um, uh, and I ask this of everyone. It's, uh, what is the worst thing that's ever happened to you? And what is the best thing that came out of that? Ah. <clears throat> uh. The worst thing that ever happened to me. Well, if you had asked me that question four and a half years ago, I would have said my cancer diagnosis. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't say that now because, um, because of the outcome um, so far, knowing that I uh, that I'm seeing some really, really good things that's come out of that. And so I guess using that as one example, um, it's caused me to my heart to to look sometimes in different places than I would have when it comes to loving person. Uh, love, do they do they deserve love? I don't ask that question much anymore. Um, God, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> well, because every time I do, I'm always you know at the top of the list. Right. Of like, right. Oh, you know that that didn't work. Um, and so it really makes it hard to find an answer to that question of what's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Um, I guess it's some of the things that I've caused <clears throat> to take place, um, of some of the tragedies I've seen. Um, but even in the midst of that, um, I keep seeing how I had to turn to Jesus even deeper and more, more um, openly. Just like I can't do this on my own and then it's like oh yeah i can't do this on my own i don't want to do this on I my need own to do it, right. and um <clears throat> so i think um that's really wild it's really having a hard time of thinking of the answer to the worst thing that's happened to me um whereas i've had this cancer staring me in the in the face for these last number of years. Um, and so I think it's probably the biggest impactor of my life. What I would have said was a negative thing, but um, it's caused me to look to Jesus for even more things, for everything, that he is the one that... Um, he is the one that's caused me to know how to love better, to know how to show up better, how to, how to see better. Um, and when it comes to that, that's, 
That's the way I want to live my life all the time. With someone as involved as you, a fairer question would probably be, what is the worst thing you think ever happened to you? Because once we get around the corner of that, it never is. The worst things that have ever happened to me have made me so much better of a person. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, Maybe so much closer to God. Uh, Maybe even care about God. Um, So I think watching the pain that my kids had to go through or went through when I went through a divorce, Mm -hmm. um, I think probably was I can't take that pain away from my kids. I can't say, okay, well, you know, Whew, we got through that because the pain continues to say is I used to see that happening with my own boys. <clears throat> and then I've had my boys say to me, um, I'm not sure all three of them have said it in this way, but they've said it basically in that the pain that, that I hated about the divorce actually has brought us closer. And so even they have put it into words is that this is a closeness that I don't think would have happened had we not first gone through such pain together. And so I think that's the specific in my life that that happened that way. Awesome. Bill, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Uh, uh, I love so you. You're, you're an amazing man. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely grateful and, and uh, Whatever all of our journeys are out, are are on the way out, mine will be better because I got to know you. Thank you. Oh, Brad, thank you. I I want to say the same thing to you. You you are making the world a better place. And I don't want it to feel like we're just patting each other on the back <laughs> no. now as we do because you're bringing the impact of pain and grief into people's lives that necessitates we have to look at someone bigger than ourselves to get through it and uh, so i thank you and it's so good to see you again. so good to see you yeah i love you man thank you love you too I'm so grateful.